Welcome back to our Messy Life Together series. And we're, we're getting into deep waters here in 1 Corinthians. And I want to invite you again to be reading 1 Corinthians on your own outside of church. Because as much as I want to, we are not going to be able to deal with every issue that Paul addresses throughout his letter to the church in Corinth. This letter from Paul is a letter about conflict and community, about how to do this messy life together. Paul has been addressing divisions, factions in the church that seek to pit one side against another. He's been addressing their lack of wisdom and spiritual bankruptcy when it comes to faith and life. The church has been leaning into the wisdom of the culture and not looking to the cross of Jesus to find wisdom. Instead of looking to the wisdom of God, the people continue to view their lives through an honor and shame culture that cares more about self-promotion and how I look in the eyes of the world rather than in humility and living for the kingdom of God. And if you recall last week, we saw how Paul is actually trying to shame them for their behavior. They should know better in how they are behaving. And he begins to really address them like children because of these divisions that are happening in the church. The church has been looking to the world for validation instead of relying on Jesus to transform them into the image of Jesus. They are in a mess. And Paul is trying to give them a firm warning and a challenge to grow up and live the calling they have been given. Paul is addressing their sanctification, which has gotten stuck. They aren't growing closer to Jesus and being set apart for the kingdom of God. As I've said, sanctification is a gift from God to us so that we be, can begin to live holy lives. Sanctification is a process where God frees us from sin. It is a gift of grace. And sanctification doesn't mean that we are free to do whatever we want, but rather we are now free not to sin. Before Jesus came into our lives, we weren't free from sin. We were slaves to sin. We, we had to sin. But after we are saved by Jesus, the Spirit of God works within us, transforms us so that we are no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free. Sometimes old habits of sin die hard, don't they? I know in my own life that I often fail to temptation and sin, that my spirit sometimes rebels against the Spirit of God. But as I look back on my life, I can clearly see where God has brought me and has been gracious to me as I've journeyed with him over my life. And the good news is that before Jesus, I couldn't help myself but sin. But now after Jesus, I can overcome in Jesus's name. The Corinthians have been struggling with their sanctification. They have been struggling with their identity, who they really are. Their freedom in Jesus has been warped to mean that they are now free to do whatever they want to do. They've got it wrong. So let's dive into this section. In chapters 5 and 6 here of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses two problems that are connected in an ABA pattern. Uh, let me show you. Uh, a. In chapter 5, verse 1 through 13, they're dealing with sexual sin. B. Chapter 6, 1 through 11, they're dealing with lawsuits among Christians. And then back to the A, chapter 6, 12 through 20, they're dealing with sexual sin again. Now, it might be hard to figure out how lawsuits among Christians 
kind of connect with these sexual sins around it. But all of these issues are related because it appears that there are some in the church who are flaunting their freedom to do whatever they want to do. Their status, their wealth means that they are above anyone else. They're abusing their freedom instead of using their freedom to build up the body of Christ. And what's worse is that the church is condoning their behavior because they aren't calling them out. So let's read this first section in chapter 5 and see what we can do with it. 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 1 and following. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not found even among pagans. For a man is living with his father's wife and you are arrogant. Should you not rather have mourned so that he who has done this would have been removed from among you? For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done such a thing. When you are assembled and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Yeah, this is a tough one. So let's get some context. In the world of Corinth, in the greater Greco-Roman world, sex outside of marriage and a whole other list of sexual activities, including some forms of incest, homosexuality, sex with multiple partners, etc., was not considered shameful many times. And I think it's fascinating that our Western world is turning back into this world when it comes to ideas about morality and sexual sin. Our culture is wrestling with what is acceptable, what is not acceptable when it comes to sex and relationships. And as, as we are well aware, the church is not immune to these issues. The church has been struggling with how to deal with a culture that is pagan and more and more lax when it comes to sexuality and sexual sins. I believe, though, that the Bible is clear on what is acceptable and not acceptable in the area of sex. There are really two options sexual relations and marriage between a male and female, or celibacy and singleness. But how does the church address these issues? Well, Paul is addressing an actual issue that is going on in this church. We'll see it, how it can help us today as well. The, the man who is called out in this text, he is probably someone who has some status and power and wealth. He might even be one of the largest supporters of the church financially. So the church is letting it slide. Let's not stir up trouble. He's not hurting anyone. It's his body. He can do whatever he wants to. And the church's reaction to this affair is just as bad or worse than the affair itself. And Paul can't believe that they're going to let this go. Again, they are flaunting their freedom. Verse 2 says, and you are arrogant. He's talking about the church. They are arrogant because they feel like they have they become enlightened, and Paul is horrified. They have corrupted the freedom they have in Jesus. We have been set free, they would say, and so we can do what we want. We aren't bound by any moral code, but because of who I am, I can do whatever, whatever I want. I can do whatever I want with my body as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. And Paul is horrified. Their enlightenment is really slavery. They aren't free to do whatever they want, but free in Christ not to sin anymore. 
And, and we do need to understand that this man is not sleeping with his mother, but with a stepmother. And even in the context of this pagan culture, this was out of bounds, primarily because it could bring shame to his father. So here we have sexual sin within the church. You thought it was only in today's world that sexual sin was an issue. You know, we've had a rash of high-profile pastors fail to sexual sin over the past several years. And for every pastor that has fallen, there are many more in the pews that are struggling with sexual sin. And Paul says, for the sake of the church, this man must be held accountable. Notice he doesn't call out the woman in the scenario. And most likely, the woman didn't belong to the church. So let's move on to verse 5. Verse 5 says, You are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Hand this man over to Satan. Wow. Let me say that this verse is hotly debated on what that actually means. How can handing someone over to Satan be helpful? Wouldn't it just make this guy worse? I believe that Paul is saying he has to be cast out of the church into the world that is truly run by Satan so that his flesh, his old nature, might be destroyed. But with the hopes that the shock of being excommunicated will cause him to repent and be saved. Paul is actually using shame which we would be the worst thing in this culture, to really jolt him back to reality. But the goal of the excommunication was repentance and restoration. And that leads me to an important point about being the church together. The only people who are not welcome in the church are unrepentant Christians. I want you to let that soak in. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. What matters is repentance. And when I talk about repentance, repentance is that confessing your sin, being ashamed of what you've done, and then turning back to God and doing His will. Now, this man is committing horrible sins. He is doing things with his body that should not be done. But if he repents, he is welcomed back into the community of faith. Christianity isn't so much about being good it is about being saved. The only people who are not welcome in the church are those Christians who willfully sin and believe that it is their right to sin, that they are free to do whatever they want to do, that their freedom trumps anything else. Now, let me say this. Outsiders are welcome in. Those who are not Christian, everyone is welcome to come and to experience God. But once you become a Christian, then that changes everything. And, and Christianity really is about admitting our sin, repenting and accepting the gift of Jesus' salvation and living in the humble, countercultural wisdom of the cross of Jesus. And the body of Christ, the church, is called to help each of us live in that repentance and be accountable to one another in faith and hope and love. This is about those who are a part of the body of Jesus the church. Paul is not addressing those on the outside of the church. Here, verse 9, he says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral persons, not at all meaning the immoral of this world or the greedy and robbers or idolaters, since you would then need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you uh, 
not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister, that's someone who's a Christian, who is sexually immoral or greedy or who is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or robber. Do not even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging those outside? Is it not those who are inside that you are to judge? God will judge those outside. Drive out the wicked person from among you. I love this. This reminds us of our calling. We are not called to judge those outside the walls of the church. God will do that. We are to be a faithful community that helps call out each other when we get wonky and start to flaunt our freedoms instead of building up the body of Christ, the church. This is our calling. We have to learn how to live in the world, but not be of the world. This is tough. This is messy. But it means we should rub shoulders with those who are not believers. We can love those on the outside. We can go to lunch with other believers, and we should. We can be in dialogue with pagans. We should. But once you are in the church, the body, a member, then everything changes. Those in the church are to be held to a higher standard. In fact, Paul states, don't associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister who is sexually immoral or greedy or who is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or robber. I'll say one word about this list. It includes both sexual sins and other sins that we think aren't as bad. Things like reviler. What's a reviler? A reviler is someone who speaks badly about someone else, trying to damage their reputation. In fact, Paul has another vice list in the next chapter, chapter 6, to drive his uh, point home. This is chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceited, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you used to be, but you were washed, you were sanctified. There's that word. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. You know, we oftentimes try to call out certain sins as worse than others, but Paul puts sexual sins in the same line with talking bad about others in the church. The point is this, outside the church, you can hang out with sinners, try and bring them to Jesus. You should bring him inside as well. But, but inside the church, members, there's a strict discipline of behavior. And the only people not welcome in the church are Christians who don't repent who justify their sexual misbehavior, who justify their idolatry, who justify their speaking ill of others, Christians who, who justify getting drunk, who justify taking things that aren't their own, and so on. The way we should live as the body of Christ is that is a countercultural movement to the watching world. I love this quote by David Pryor, who speaks on this text, and, and I want to read this quote as he's talking in this commentary, uh, he says this, the world is waiting to see such a church, a church which takes sin seriously, which enjoys forgiveness fully, which in its time of gathering together combines joyful celebration with an awesome sense of God's immediacy and authority. But that will never happen if we refuse to come into costly, compassionate, contact with men and women of the world. I love that. 
And that gets us to our text that we had today from the end of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. I would invite you this week to go back and read all of chapter 5 to 7 and get a bigger picture of Paul's arguments. Let's read it again. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body. You're not free to do whatever you want. You are free not to sin. Your body, your physical body, belongs to God. You were bought with a price, the death of Jesus. It is not yours to do as you please. It is God's to do with as He pleases. In the church, it is the body of Christ. It is also owned by God. It was bought with a price, the death of Jesus. It is not ours to do as we please. It is God's to do with as He pleases. The gift we have is a gift of God. Repent of your arrogance and thinking you can do whatever you want. Repent of your arrogance that you are outside the law of Jesus. Repent of your arrogance that you determine what you want to do with your life. Come to Jesus, the only hope of salvation and freedom. Not freedom to do what you want, but freedom to glorify God. Let's pray. We thank you again, O God, for the gift of Jesus, for the wisdom of the cross. And we pray that we wouldn't flaunt our freedom, but that we would be a people saved, humble, that confess our sins, that repent, that seek to live in faithfulness, and that we are called to go out into the world to bring in others, that all are welcome, all are welcome to come and see. But help us as as followers of Jesus to live faithfully for you. We love you, Lord, and we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I pray y'all have a great week. I look forward to seeing y'all next week. God bless.